I'm Justine. I'm Daniela. And, and welcome, welcome to Zen, Zen What? A podcast where we discuss our own personal journeys towards healing and wellness. We're two best friends on a mission to break the stigma around mental health. And we hope that by sharing our stories, you will feel less alone. The, the veil of silence drops with us. Episode two. Episode two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How you doing, Justine? I'm doing good. Um, today it came out that not only Naomi Osaka, mm-hmm. but also Simone Biles. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to put Shikari in there too, mm-hmm. because I think what she was dealing with was a mental health issue. I would categorize yeah, it for totally. sure. Grief is like a mental health thing. Um, that all three of these ladies who are the best of the best mm-hmm. have withdrawn because of mental health issues yeah. from various competitive events mm-hmm. or have been kicked off right. as of Shikari's. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, in light of all of the people who are leaving their jobs, right. has given me a t- so much inspiration mm-hmm. and um, is so affirming for me yeah. that I made the right decision in yeah. my life at this time. Mm-hmm. For all of these black women... These three who are in this public sector, and then for all the black women who are not written about, who yeah. are quitting their jobs, leaving, mm-hmm. pursuing their passions, um, and just not taking it anymore, right. is so inspiring to me. Yeah. I feel really uplifted mm-hmm. in in Simone Biles sitting down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think she's so inspiring on and off the mat. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. that's huge. Um, especially when you've, you know, the whole seems like the whole world is watching you Mm -hmm. and um you you have this fear of like not just disappointing yourself but your whole country yeah yeah. um you don't know how people are going to take this decision that you're making that Mm -hmm. is is essentially the best decision for you for you yeah honestly with the with naomi Mm -hmm. withdrawing first right she was the first one to come out and say, I can't do this anymore. Yes. I'm going to sit down with my dog and my man and sit down <laughs> somewhere. Then, I think with Shikari not being able to compete. Ugh. And that um, level of... Um, the, the double standards. The double standards, mm-hmm. the boundaries, the all of that that she faced. I would not be surprised if that affected Simone. I mean, I think I read somewhere that Simone originally didn't retire or, um, you know, was in the Olympics this season because she felt this pressure of, as the only active survivor of Larry Nassar, to compete and to sort of um, keep the pressure on USA Gymnastics. And that is, like, way too much (laughs) of a a burden of of pressure to put on a young woman. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I think she's a hero in every sense of the word. I think so, too. And I don't know why the men's gymnastics team isn't stepping up for the Mm -hmm. nasty-ass coaches. Right. I don't understand what the issue is here. Where the allies at? <laughs> Where are they? Who are they? It yeah. can't just be uh, Sunisa now. Right. <laughs> like, oh my God. Ooh. Mm. So yeah, I've just been feeling very inspired today. Aww. To like, about this podcast, about our mission, and mm-hmm. then also about like taking my mental health so seriously. Yeah. That I like let go of something that 
was not serving me that was only asking of yeah, me. Yeah, it no longer feels frivolous, right? Like, because yeah. more people are normalizing decisions yep. like this mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. prioritizing things like mental health and yep. your well-being. Yep, yep. Um, yeah. Ugh, so and important. I can't, I can't wait for the Naomi, Simone Biles, whatever wellness product they're coming out with. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. I'm buying it. I'm yeah. buying all of it. <laughs> See, that's how you do it, Wendy. Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how do you feel? How are you feeling today? Um, I'm okay. You know, it was, it was a really busy weekend for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went mm-hmm. to an out of state wedding, so mm. I'm still just kind of, uh, just readjusting to mm-hmm. normal day to day. Um, but I'm really excited about this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. we've already recorded our interview. Yep. Um, I'm really excited to share that with everyone. Uh, you know, eating disorders, talking about eating disorders, talking about disordered eating is definitely a tough topic. It's, mm-hmm. I think, very sensitive for the both of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really necessary to talk about these things. Yeah. So, yeah. and have open conversation with, um, two women who are trying to get a lot of clarity on this. Yeah. Rather than just figuring out what to exactly to eat at the right times, Mm -hmm. which I find that most of these conversations are had by women who only, whose goal is to be thin. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, that's not the goal that we have. Mm -hmm. I think the goal is for us to, like, you have to eat every day. How do we enjoy (laughs) it? How do we be healthy? How do we nourish our bodies? Mm -hmm. How do we nourish our minds? How do we nourish our souls every day? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just reframing the way we think about food, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is tough. But, Very. Um, you know, we've been doing that work for, yeah. for a while now. Bad long. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Get over the damn pasta. Read between the fucking lines. It ain't about the pasta. It's not about the pasta. Should we just get to Segway. it? Segway. Can yes. we discuss? Yes. <laughs> and can we discuss? Okay. So for today's can we discuss, we're going to talk about our respective histories with our relationship to food, disordered eating, even eating disorders and triggers that we have or diagnoses that we may have had. Um, so I'll ask you first. Sure. How is your, like, I'll ask you this. When was your first diet? How old were you? <laughs> I mean, I was definitely restricting in some way before this, but my first formal diet must have been when I was in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. It was the South Beach diet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, both my parents were same, same. doing the South Beach diet same, at the same. time, and I yep. just borrowed their book yep. and was doing that. Um, you know, to this day, the thought of drinking a V8 makes me want to vomit. Oh, man. <laughs> like, it triggers me. I know. That was one of those foods. Yeah, that was one of the things you the could V8 eat. was marketed as, yeah. like, kale is marketed now. Yeah. 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 Uh, what about you? What was your first diet? First diet was South Beach mm-hmm. because I heard... That Jessica Simpson got down to 104 pounds on South Beach. Oh my god. And I was like, I would kill anyone to be 104 <laughs> pounds. And so I went on a diet, probably actively like a diet choosing my food, mm-hmm. probably around like 8th grade, 8th, mm-hmm. ninth grade. Yeah. But before then, I was definitely told to be on a diet, oh my gosh. told to restrict, um... And definitely had, like, feelings and thoughts that I was fat really early on in life. Yeah. Yeah. How did um, you being told to go on a diet at a young age, like, mm-hmm. essentially, you were a child. Yeah, I was, like, 11 yeah. when I was first told to, like, go yeah. on a diet. I was mm-hmm. 11. Yeah. By your doctor. By my doctor. Yeah. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. How do you feel like that's affected your relationship with food? Uh, horribly. Yeah. Horribly. <laughs> um, because I have been also, I think because of my parents' history with food as mm-hmm. well, I think I have been looking for like a magic pill to make me acceptable in society's eyes mm-hmm. forever. My body was either too big yeah. and too fat or too sexy. Yeah, you were like sexualized very young. <laughs> all, all the time, yeah. right? And we were just talking about this with our mm-hmm. prom picture. Yeah. That people were commenting on you saying, oh, you got body, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Before that was cute. Yeah. Before it was like cute yeah, to have yeah, body. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't look at me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like, damn, I'm really fat as I think I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so that definitely affected my relationship with food because I didn't know anything about nutrition. Yeah. I just knew that not eating would make me smaller. Right. And I had right. to be smaller to be healthy. Yeah. At 11. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't done. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> even, I have to be smaller to look good. It's like, I have to no. be smaller to be healthy. healthy. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, well, let's go into, like, your history with maybe with eating disorder triggers or mm-hmm. if you've had any diagnoses yourself or anything like that. I mean, I've been obsessed with my weight since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was growing up, and even as a young adult, I viewed food as my enemy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, looking back on it now, is so unfortunate because I absolutely love food. And cooking. I, I love eating food. I Danielle love Danielle can burn, food. okay? <laughs> <laughs> love it. Um, so yeah, as a teen, even though um, I was obsessed with my body and my food intake, yeah. I didn't think I had an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Probably because it, I didn't, um, it didn't look like what I saw played out on TV exactly. and movies, right? Yep. I was, I was thin at the time, but mm-hmm. I didn't see myself as thin because mm-hmm. I wasn't rail thin. <laughs> you know, I still yeah. had a little bit of body. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely can say I struggled with disordered eating though because it, of yeah. how much of how much thinking about food and my body weight um, took. So much of my brain space. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There was food that was scary to me. Like I avoided mm-hmm. eating pasta, mm-hmm. which sucks because I love pasta. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite restaurants to go to now as an adult oh is called Pasta, pasta Lovers. Lovers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, food like that, carbs yeah. like that, were scary to me. Is you know, especially like South Beach diet. That's the yeah. number one thing you cut out. South Beach and Atkins. <laughs> yeah. Morphed from South Beach. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the carbs were evil. Yeah, they unless were evil. it was whole wheat bread. Do you remember whole wheat bread yeah. being like? Because I used to love white bread as a kid, and then I was yeah. like, "Well, now I need to eat whole wheat." Because whole wheat <laughs> bread are vegetables. Yeah, is how it was marketed. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. It's gonna help me lose weight. Yeah, yeah, um, yes. I mean, you know, I love whole wheat bread now, but it's not yeah. because I'm not eating it for a specific goal or reason. Yeah, I'm or to eating, cut. Yeah, or to cut something. Yeah. No, I'm eating it because I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, food was scary to me. I think numbers too were really triggering for me. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. when I would step on a scale and see how much I weighed, like that number was always very scary mm-hmm. um, because it was never, it was never the amount that I wanted to see. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I was always revising my goal, mm-hmm. um, probably because I was so unhappy and thought that if I got to a specific number, that oh, it would suddenly instantly. flip everything. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, get a boyfriend, get into college. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So bad. Uh-huh. Um, and then the size of my jeans, like that was something else oh, that really tripped me up. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. That too. What about you? Um, so I have definitely struggled with eating disorders 
in the past and mm-hmm. disordered eating in the past. Yeah. Um, and it was definitely a control thing right. because I was kind of um, like uh, in an up and down, maybe like a more unstable place um, during high school. I was like dealing with a lot of emotional stuff. Yeah. Um, and so controlling my food intake was definitely a way to do it. Mm-hmm. I joined the track team to lose weight. Gosh. And I sure did. And everybody complimented me. Everybody was like, you yeah, look that's, great. That's the worst. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, um, I'm actually reading this book right now called Group. And this girl is talking, uh, um, it's an autobiography, and she's talking about how she always wanted a sexy eating disorder, like oh anorexia. Ugh. Yes. Which is totally what I wanted to. Yeah. I wanted a sexy one like anorexia where people would be worried about my health. Yeah. <laughs> and that was never the case. Yeah. That was never the case. I just looked like a curvy little teenager. <laughs> and um, I also think that going to all-girls school definitely affected it. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Because we only saw ourselves in the image of what women were supposed to look like at that time. Mm-hmm. And our classmates who were all very athletic. Yeah. Um, and, and they were fitting that mold, right? They were fitting that mold yeah. of what was popular, what was um, considered to be sexy at the time. Yeah. Um, and so we didn't, because we didn't have boys mm-hmm. who thought that tits and ass were sexy, <laughs> we did not think. Yeah. We did not grow up with that knowledge until you, you know, got to Starbucks and some man's following you around. And then you were, like, afraid. And then you're just afraid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're, like, damn, I'm only sexualized yeah. in outside. Mm-hmm. But in my everyday life, mm-hmm. I'm fat. Yeah. And growing up knowing nothing about nutrition. Yeah, I didn't either. Right? Yeah. And then now I know no, nothing yeah. about nutrition. Yeah. I just knew that I had to be thinner. Mm-hmm. And I, I, by any means necessary. Right. Yeah. Do you want to keep it 100? Yeah, let's keep okay. it 100. Let's keep it 100. Yep. Um, so where are you at today with your relationship to food? So it's definitely getting better. Mm -hmm. Um, the pandemic has definitely done a number on me physically, Mm -hmm. um, as far as working so much and, um, being inside and having the gym taken away. I used to really love the gym a lot, Mm -hmm. but I have toxic relationships with everything surrounding food, body image and weight. Mm -hmm. Um, and even exercise got yeah. funky there for yeah. a minute. <laughs> um, and so, um, it has really, that's why it, you guys will hear in our interview, the virtual reality thing that Ro was talking about, that therapy where mm-hmm. they put on the VR glasses yep. and see them. I kind of went through that this year and there's still, even still when I do my walks, I don't like passing by windows and seeing myself. Mm-hmm. Even in my room, I don't really love looking in the mirror. Mm, um, yeah. It's still very, very difficult for me, the yeah. weight that I've gained over the past year. Right. Um, and the weight that I've gained over the past three and a half years, building two black girls, one rose, mm-hmm. and working at the same time, and living yeah. with my parents. Yeah, and like, the stress of everything. The stress of everything. And I would love for us to talk to my nutritionist, who was awesome, but I used to lie to her. Yeah. Because you I felt want- shame. I felt shame and I wanted to prove that I could do it. Yeah. And I wanted to get to the numbers that she told me mm-hmm. if I, um, you know, adhere to a certain plan yeah. and do what I'm supposed to do that I could do. Mm-hmm. But nobody was really understanding what I was going through emotionally and the right. workload right. of the podcast plus mm-hmm. like living in New York City. I was living in New York City at the time, then I was living at home. Um, 
and the toll that that took on my body. Mm -hmm. And what I really wanted and still do is a diagnosis and a pill. (laughs) So badly do I want a diagnosis and a pill that I can take that will help me to regulate my metabolism, Mm -hmm. my energy levels, Mm -hmm. my um, digestive system. I just want a diagnosis, but the diagnosis is sleep deprivation and stress. Right, I was going to (laughs) say. And that is not, there's no pill. You have to change your lifestyle, and that shit is hard as fuck to do. You have to feed yourself, because it's so easy to get carried away with the work day, and it's like 4 o'clock, and you haven't eaten. Yeah, yeah. Or you don't, like, I found myself not wanting to eat because it slows down my energy mm-hmm. in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Or not wanting to eat because you're too fat because you don't deserve it. I've oh gone through gosh. that cycle yeah. very recently. Oh, so toxic, that thing. Yeah. yeah, so toxic, and it's just me in here. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, bitch, what? Yeah, no one's at the lunch table. Like, yeah. bitches, are you serious? That's yeah. all you're going to eat? Yeah. Um, and so not having that accountability has definitely gotten me into a very evil, evil. <laughs> like evil spot, a yeah. bad, bad spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really hoping to in August, especially because I have like new community around me in my um, city mm-hmm. that I will be able to have a healthier relationship, definitely with exercise yeah. and then with food as well, because the people that are around me are all love to cook mm-hmm. and are um quite healthy and have healthy relationships to food yeah so i'm just happy to like learn from them and mm-hmm. be around that community and hopefully um be happier yeah first lose weight second because i do yeah. think of that that has to i can't walk past the mirror and not look at myself like this is gotta stop yeah but um I mean, that's where you're at today, right? Yeah, that's the thing. I'm still struggling. Yeah, (laughs) I'm still struggling with it. Yeah, for sure. What about you? Well, I feel like I've definitely come a long way in terms of my relationship to food, but Mm -hmm. that has definitely changed very, very gradually over time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say after college, when I started working a corporate job and was struggling with depression, Mm -hmm. I felt like food was the only source of joy for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And even though it had been this scary thing for me growing up, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to deprive myself of that small joy that I felt. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely use food as a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. and I'm not here to say if that's a good or bad thing. Yeah. But that, yeah. it was just how I cope. Right, right. Um, you know, I would push down my feelings and mm-hmm. mindlessly eat. Mm-hmm. I would say now I'm trying to be more mindful of what I'm eating without mm-hmm. depriving myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I refuse to entertain the idea of ever dieting again. Mm-hmm. I just, I cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though I still really struggle with my body image, and I'm not necessarily happy with my current weight... I feel like I've really closed that chapter of dieting in my life Mm. um, because dieting made me so miserable and I'm just trying to lean in on the idea that I'm so much more than just a number on Mm -hmm. the scale Mm -hmm. and that the people who love me love me for reasons other than my physical body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, but you know, body image and even relationships with food, like that can change from day to day. Yeah. Yeah. Really just trying to focus on that sort of mindfulness practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard when, you know, you have ads on social media and on TV pushing Mm -hmm. these diet products and then you see ads for food everywhere Mm -hmm. and it just feels like this obsession that you can't escape from. Yeah. So it really takes a really like concerted effort to yep. to heal from this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think too with the pandemic, like 
I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, I followed one influencer who was like, if you're going to take this pandemic and sit on your ass, I don't want to hear it after this is over. And I was like, unfollow and delete. block. You <laughs> got to go. Delete, delete, I was delete. like, bitch, you are sitting here using yeah. a global pandemic to mm-hmm. get people to lose weight when people are dying from breathing outside? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my God. So that when I when you said social media, that's what I thought about. I was like, holy shit, that was yeah. a lot. Yeah. And if I didn't have enough sense mm-hmm. and enough therapy, you would have been like, that's I would have listened to yeah 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 totally Mm -hmm. totally um i mean i feel you there was a at some point during the pandemic um someone in my family or maybe a few people in my family made a Mm -hmm. comment about my weight Mm -hmm. and then i finally weighed myself after you know avoiding the scale for a long time and i saw the number and it was so triggering for me that i reverted back to those that old thinking pattern of now I can't eat and I really mm-hmm. need to like it was food was feeling scary for me again mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I started working out but it started to feel really obsessive like a punishment. Yeah, a yeah punishment and and just was weighing myself every day and I finally Ooh. just had to set that boundary Ooh. and just say goodbye to the scale yeah yeah um, fuck the numbers yeah and just be really present with where I'm at today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you know just remind myself that I can feel bad about how I look today, but tomorrow's mm-hmm. a different day, mm-hmm. and I can mm-hmm. feel differently tomorrow. How do you feel about nutrition overall? Do you feel like you're learning more about nutrition as a... I don't want... To, I feel like I can quickly become obsessive, so okay. it's okay. like I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole. Okay. You know? That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's totally fair. I think judging when you're full and just yeah. eating to that... Like that intuitive not, eating. Yeah. yeah. And like not eating your feelings mm-hmm. is like enough. Or you can eat your feelings, but be mindful that that's what you're doing in that yeah, moment, right? Yeah, 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 um, So, I mean, it's hard, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. girls got to eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all have to yeah. eat. That's the thing about eating disorders. Yeah. Uh, but luckily, we have Ro to yeah. talk to us about um, the decisions we're making um, that we, me and Danielle, are making, but also just overall asking answering a lot of questions about eating disorders as a mm-hmm. whole. Yep. She's studying eating disorders as a PhD candidate mm-hmm. in Louisville, Kentucky, yep. which is the fuck wild. I didn't even know that's how you pronounced it until our interview with yeah, her. either. I've been saying Louisville this whole time. Same. Like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and she was awesome. So we're really excited yeah. to have you guys hear her. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, yep. let's... Let's talk about that soul stretch. Let's yeah. get that soul stretch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Let's take it away with Ro. Let's do it. So soon to be doctor, <laughs> Rowan Hunt is here with us. We're so excited. Um, Ro is getting her PhD right now, um, studying eating disorders and eating disorder therapy. Um, and you are in Louisville, Kentucky, I know, but what school are you studying at right now? University of Louisville. Okay. All right. Shout out to Louisville. Louisville. Wow. Mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh, Ro. Um, So we want to know, and I'm sure our listeners want to know as well, how did you choose the focus of eating disorders? What was your bachelor's in? Give us, like, all of the education history. Yeah, um, so I went to um, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, mm-hmm. um, and when I started there, I was a math major, um, oh my gosh. and that didn't last Whoa. long. Like that lasted like 
a semester. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, I don't want to do this. Like Mm -hmm. all this like theoretical math stuff, uh, doesn't mean anything. (laughs) Um, so then I switched to econ because it felt like Uh. it was math, but still like mattered. Mm -hmm. Um, but then like capitalism is soul sucking. And so then I realized Mm. that wasn't the path for me, but by that point I had already completed enough credits for an econ major. So I added on psych and Mm -hmm. psych is where I kind of landed. Um, and as part of one of my like psych course courses that I had to take, um, I took a, uh, just like general psychopathology class with, um, Dr. Anna Bardone Cohn, um, and she researches eating disorders and eating disorder recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, after taking her class, she invited me to apply to be a research assistant in her lab. And so, and so I applied and I got in and I just kind of like fell into it. Um, and it just stuck around because I just, I mean, that's how I fell into it. But I think that ultimately why I stay in it is mm-hmm. that I really like, um, like puzzles and hard problems. And I Mm. can't really think of like a harder problem than, um, teaching people to like how to relate to their own bodies Mm -hmm. and food in like this society that we live in Mm -hmm. where you're constantly being told how you should look and what you should eat. And if you eat this, you're a bad person. And if you don't eat this, you're a great person. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that just stuck around in eating disorders. Wow. We're so lucky to have you. Yeah. You're clearly a genius. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You went from math to econ to ED. Jeez. Um, so how has um, your experience in Louisville and North Carolina as well? Actually, let's start off with this. Where are you from originally? I'm originally from um, South Jersey, like right outside of Philly. Oh, Jersey Um, girl. Okay. Okay. (laughs) We love it. We love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, well, I was born in Boston, but then we moved to Jersey, like when I, before I was like sentient. So I say, (laughs) Um, and then, yeah, I went to North Carolina for school Mm -hmm. um, and I had no, I, I visited the campus once and it was just like, a really beautiful day and it just like drew me in and I was like this is where I belong and then I moved to North Carolina and I was like man I really didn't think about what moving to North Carolina um would look like but Mm. I actually really enjoyed my time in Chapel Hill um I found the triangle which is like North Chapel Hill Durham and Mm -hmm. um Raleigh Mm -hmm. as like a really like nice little pocket Mm -hmm. of like innovation and diversity mm-hmm. and I don't know I feel like it kind of radicalized me mm-hmm. like I, and I wasn't expecting it yeah. um but yeah I really enjoyed my time there and then I moved back up to Philly um after undergrad and worked as a research coordinator at Drexel um doing eating disorder stuff there um and so when I moved to Kentucky I thought it would be like a similar experience I was like man North Carolina was such a you know, I wasn't expecting it and um, turned out great. And then moving to Kentucky has been a little different. Um, <laughs> Kentucky, Louisville is not, like, radicalizing me. Yeah, like, I might yeah. be radicalizing Louisville a little. Mm. Um, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it, it has been, I think that 
the time at which I moved here was really hard because um, the summer after my first year is when um, Breonna Taylor was murdered in her home by police here. And so I was like just getting hitting the one year mark of living here. Mm -hmm. And then like 15 minutes away from my house, like somebody the same age as me, Mm -hmm. who like looked very similar to me, Mm -hmm. was killed by the police of the city that I was living in. And so that has been really hard. I think that um, it was kind of like whiplash going from like Philly, which I think is like one of the more, like one of the blackest cities Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. our nation, going to like Louisville, which still has a lot of echoes of things like segregation Mm -hmm. and redlining. And um, yeah, I think learning to navigate this space has made the adjustment to grad school a little harder. But I also think that... um, I lean a lot on the people within my lab. Um, None of all of them are from outside of the state too. So I think that we like kind of can commiserate there. And I also am beginning to like find my space to do um, advocacy work. Like Louisville has a lot of ways in which um, it can grow. And Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people here who like want it to grow. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm like, just hitting the two-year mark here and I think that we're like starting to find people um who are doing that kind of work and like working to make Louisville a better place Mm -hmm. and yeah so that's Louisville (laughs) yeah that's a lot and I mean I think you should be really proud of yourself in terms of getting a degree in any sort of education because we know that education is what bridges the gap both ways right between the white people who are afforded and given a lot of privilege in their educational lives, but not really so much in their experiences. Also to black people who are rich in experiences and definitely culture, but may not have left their block and may not be getting the same kind of food that other people are getting, the same kind of um, education, obviously. And bridging that gap is what will change the world. (laughs) And you are part of that change. So that that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I really, um, I want to go into academia and I really hope Mm -hmm. that like when I am an academic who has their own lab that I can also mentor, um, like students of color Mm -hmm. and queer Mm -hmm. folk and bring more people with diverse experiences and like visions and lived experience into this field. Because I do think that, um, the eating disorder field is like very white, like very white, cis hetero Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and i think that it could benefit a lot from more outsiders coming in Mm -hmm. and i'm sure like men like you providing that mentorship Mm -hmm. is so valuable um and it also allows people to think hey before i didn't think i could enter this field but Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. seeing that there are other people that maybe have similar experiences to me or that we can relate in, on that wavelength is, is pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what kind of research do you do? I know it's the summertime now, but um, how long is your PhD program, number one? And then yes. number two, what kind of research are you doing like in the field and in your lab? Yeah. Um, so my program is five years um plus a one-year internship that kind of functions like a residency does Mm -hmm. in like med school where I go a random place for a year and yeah do a lot of clinical work Mm -hmm. um 
but currently in my lab, I am um, beginning to start thinking about my dissertation. And so I'm like building my own kind of line of research and really finding like my voice within um, the work that my lab is doing as a whole. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of think of my interests as like better understanding why people do things that hurt themselves when they feel big emotions. I think that like Mm. experiencing emotions is such a like human thing. Um, And yet I find that a lot of the stuff that I see clinically and in research, like eating disorders, but then also like self-harm, like Mm -hmm. suicidality, um, substance use, like it does come back to experiencing like strong emotions and not knowing how to sit with them or like endure them. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And so I think better understanding that process and creating treatments that are culturally informed Mm -hmm. and inclusive of a wide range of experiences is like ultimately where I want my work to go. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that's dope. (laughs) As far as eating disorders goes and concentrating on that, are there specific emotions that you have found that people experience who are in your clinical study? Yeah, um, I, through clinical work and, like, working with um, folks with eating disorders and, like, I just think that, like, shame Mm. and guilt, um, like, shame can show up in so many different places and it's, like, shame about food and like what you're consuming can turn into shame about your body and how it looks and then like becomes this like overwhelming shame about who you are as a person Mm. um and can just be really disruptive Mm -hmm. um and so I think that yeah understanding shame um and yeah how to like work on it and how to like intervene upon it Mm -hmm. is um really important for eating disorders and I think just like in general anxiety also yeah. um uh, yeah I was gonna ask like what do you think is the link between eating disorders and like an anxiety disorder hmm. yeah um well it's like eating disorders ultimately um come down to like a fear of food right like mm-hmm. a fear of food or like a fear of what food might do to your a body result. yeah or a fear of like what if my body changes how people will perceive me like a fear mm-hmm. of people's Judgment. Yeah, visions of me and my body and yeah. who I am um and also like eating disorders overlap I think the the I don't know the exact like stat but I think like somewhere near like 80 percent of people with an eating disorder also have like a comorbid anxiety disorder mm-hmm. um and so and it's, like, things like social anxiety are really yeah. um, relevant to eating disorders, but also just, like, general anxiety and, like, using food and, to cope with right. general stress. Um, and so, yeah, anxiety has um, ended up being really important to eating disorders. And um, I think that understanding how anxiety functions, like, with eating disorders and also within eating disorders is mm-hmm. important for treatment. Mm. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the EAT Lab? Yeah. Um, so the EAT Lab, um, which stands for Eating Anxiety Treatment Lab, mm-hmm. is the um, lab that I'm a part of here at the University of Louisville. Um, it's under the mentorship of Dr. Sherry Levinson. Mm-hmm. Um, and within the lab, we use um, 
statistical and technological like advances to better understand the overlap between eating disorders and anxiety disorders and use that to inform treatment. So one big thing that we do with our work is um, exposure therapy was mm. like huge for the anxiety disorder field. Um, things like OCD, like PTSD, like mm-hmm. social phobia, all of those, um, the most like efficacious and best working treatments for those disorders are exposure based mm. um, at their core. And so um, my mentor has built a lot of work upon applying exposure um, based treatment to eating disorders. And mm-hmm. so um, that can look like doing like food exposures with people. Um, so we have like a study where people come into the lab, people with eating disorders come into the lab and we like work with them to make a list of all of the foods that they've been depriving themselves of for years mm-hmm. um, and have them rank them and like how anxious would it make you on the mm-hmm. scale. Um, and then we work with them to like, okay, so next week you're going to come in and you're going to bring that food and I'm going to bring that food and we're going to eat it together and just sit with the anxiety ah. and like <laughs> learn that we can, yeah, and learn that like you can eat this thing that you've been avoiding for years and it can feel really terrible and then the rest of your life can go on mm-hmm. and you can be okay. Mm-hmm. Um so we do that work. We've also used um, virtual reality to a lot of people Whoa. have like fear of weight gain, like mm-hmm. fear, mm-hmm. fearing weight gain is like such a central fear. It drives like a lot of restriction, mm-hmm. but it also drives like over exercise, purging. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it can be like a really big barrier to treatment. Like some people with eating disorders won't start therapy because they're like, well, I know my therapist is going to make me eat and that's going to make yeah. me gain weight. Yeah. So I like won't do the therapy. Um, so using virtual reality, we actually have had um, some an engineering student create this little um, immersive sort of experience where people look are basically like looking in a mirror and seeing a vision of their like a body that is like similar to theirs in skin tone and shape mm-hmm. and just like every few minutes it just gets slightly bigger mm-hmm. and we have them rate their anxiety and the emotions that are coming up for them um and yeah similar like learning to like sit with that feeling and being like man like this would really this this would suck and this also is like super scary and I can also handle it mm-hmm. um, And we also do this thing called imaginal exposure, which um, comes a lot from like PTSD with people who like have experienced um, just any situations that are like hard to recreate. Like a lot of fears that people have are like hard to bring into the real world. Like if somebody's afraid of spiders, you can like in theory bring a spider into the room, but you can't do that with like more amorphous uh, concepts. So we um, do this thing called imaginal exposure where we have people write out these really detailed scripts of mm. like, if you were to gain weight, what is your what is your fear around gaining weight? Is mm-hmm. that like the people in your family will stop loving you? Is that you like won't find a partner? Is it that you won't be able to live with yourself? We have them write out these super detailed um, scripts and then they just come in weekly and read the script mm-hmm. um and process it and like really visualize what that experience would be like Ooh. um to kind of yeah it's that it's is emotional really yeah. do they do that in a group or is that single singular just one it's person? a singular okay. um thing um and so then yeah and it's like really hard there are people who have written full scripts about like 
in this world where I gained like 10 pounds, I have no other choice but to kill myself because I just like couldn't wow. live with looking in the mirror and wow. like talking through that. And like everybody in my family will stop talking to me and right. like everybody will think I'm disgusting. Um, and they just read that mm-hmm. over and over again, um, partially to um, allow themselves the space to process it and yeah. think about like is that actually what will really happen like how real mm-hmm. does that actually feel yeah. but also to be like if this is what were to happen could you handle it mm-hmm. like yeah. would you be able to live with that um and then between sessions so they're doing that really hard work in session and then between sessions we make this like separate list of all the things that they're avoiding because mm-hmm. of like fear of weight gain so whether it be like eating certain foods or wearing shorts in the summer, mm-hmm. wearing a bathing suit, mm. going on dates, like we make a whole long list of things that they're avoiding. And then we just like slowly work our way through the list. And mm-hmm. we're like, okay, so this week you're gonna eat pizza because you haven't eaten pizza because you're afraid mm-hmm. that you'll gain weight from it. So that's what we're doing this week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So really just like pushing people to get yeah, a little bit out of the, their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely what is the relationship I'm curious to um your treatment with people individual and group and social media do you guys find that do you have to restrict people's social media do you have to get them to like follow certain people or follow just people who look like them or how does that work in terms of because we're getting so many I think we're getting something crazy like 30 times more images that our parents did or something wild so how does that play into your therapy over at eat lab yeah that's a really good question um there's not a ton of research surprisingly like even though we live in this super like immersive yeah it just started so media yeah there's not a ton of research examining how can people still exist in this world with social media and recover from their eating disorders right um and so we like know that consuming those images are really harmful for people mm-hmm. but um we don't exactly know how to best handle that within therapy um and I know that when before I came to grad school I was working in a treatment center for kids and adolescents with eating disorders and that was a huge thing is that like they weren't allowed to have their phones because if they had their phones the only thing that they were going to do is consume media that then would like reinforce their eating uh-huh. disorder but it's hard with like yeah. adults right who right. yeah in theory, like, should, you know, be able to regulate their own, like, consumption of media, like, Mm -hmm. what limit are we allowed to put on people, and, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's Mm -hmm. hard. Do you want to go into a little bit, uh, just talking about the difference between an eating disorder versus disordered eating? Like, what do we mean when we say disordered eating? Yeah, definitely. Um, So, an eating disorder is if we think of relationships with food and one's body on a spectrum like an eating disorder is at one end um where like you meet there's all these like diagnostic criteria Mm -hmm. of like engaging in this behavior x times per week on average and being this impaired by it Mm -hmm. um but it's all kind of like jargony um Mm -hmm. and i think that disordered eating is anything 
before that, like anything mm-hmm. in the space between having a neutral to positive relationship with one's body, um, eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not thinking too much about food and having it not um, rule your life and mm-hmm. your thoughts. Um, and I think that the space in between those two ends is kind of like where disordered eating lives. And so mm-hmm. it can be things like binge mm-hmm. eating um, or purging or mm-hmm. over exercising, but it can also be things like cutting out whole food groups, even though mm-hmm. you don't have any dietary need that specifies that you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, or going intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. I think of intermittent fasting as inherently disordered eating. Like I have clients Thank come you, into my office. Dr. Rowe. <laughs> yeah. Oh my I God. Like, I see people and I'm like, the first thing we do in therapy is that it's like, you have to be eating three meals and two snacks mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. Like that's your minimum. Like that's what you have to be eating. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, but like, what about intermittent fasting where you only eat within this like 12 hour window? And I'm mm-hmm. like, humans don't like <laughs> like what <laughs> like our metabolisms need to be fed like mm-hmm. we need to be eating when we're hungry um actually that might that might be like a controversial statement but like yeah we need to be eating when we're hungry um God, yeah so I think of like many many things that are um still like really sanctioned by our society I think are still can end up as disordered eating and mm-hmm. I also think that like if it is impacting your ability to relate with others, to like go out to dinner with your friends and family, mm-hmm, yeah. to like experience moments in your life, if it's like taking up your brain power, like it probably right. is disordered in some way and worth mm-hmm. talking about with someone, I think. So what's the difference between somebody who has who uh, engages in disordered eating on a regular basis and someone who's like on a diet looking to lose weight? I mean, what a good question. It's like, right? It's like um, the office where yeah, it's like, this is you... the same picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it like that? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, point out the differences between yeah. these. Yeah, between these pictures. There, there are none. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in theory, right, it's like if somebody is on a diet and they aren't negatively emotionally impacted Mm. by restricting their eating like I guess in theory you could argue that they aren't being impaired by their behavior and Mm. so it's not disordered but I think it's like a slippery slope right and it's like even if you're engaging in like healthy dieting you're teetering right on the line of like slipping into like unhealthy behaviors yeah Um, yeah yeah Mm. interesting interesting um how has the awareness of fat phobia affected your studies and, and the way that you view the work that you do? Yeah. Um, that's so important because it's like, we can design all of these treatments and like work, um, with folks to reduce their fear of eating certain foods, their fear of, um, gaining weight Mm -hmm. and stuff like in our offices but then they go out into this world that is like incredibly fat phobic and it's like okay like even if I'm okay with myself like what is society going to think of me and I also often a lot of the work that we're doing is like dispelling these anxieties that people have like Mm -hmm. are people really going to judge you are people really going to leave you and it's like in a fat phobic society like they might like people might judge you people might 
leave you. Mm-hmm. So it does make it really hard to get um, buy-in from clients. Um, but I also think that it impacts our research um, because things like binge eating disorder was only added as an eating disorder in the most recent version of the DSM or like the diagnostic yeah. manual. I still see that trickling down into like what sort of research is funded? Like, mm-hmm. do we fund research that looks at, like, the impairment of people in larger bodies? Like, mm-hmm. do we even think of those people as having eating disorders? Right. Um, are those people, like, included in our studies? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Not yeah. really. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because as you just said, people don't think, of, <laughs> people just think of what's going to work and what they know is going to prove it to be right. And they probably yeah. also think of their community. Like, you're probably not yeah. thinking of, like, a nine-year-old in a Bron- in the Bronx who just got her period. Why is that? Ugh, and so I think that, like, people are really ready to recognize the harms of people who are underweight doing these, like, yes. dangerous behaviors. Right. But, like, a lot of times, like, doctors will encourage right. these behaviors for people in larger bodies because, like, ultimately their actual health falls below like mm-hmm. this idea that we have of health that is so entangled with BMI and yeah and, right yeah can yeah. you talk to us a little bit about the bullshit that is the BMI <laughs> the racist <laughs> foolery that is the BMI I mean it's just like it's we know it's like not real like I just don't know <laughs> why we like continued to it's just well like similar it wasn't based off of women's bodies and Mm. we know that like women carry weight differently right um we know that muscle and fat have different weights like if we're yeah if we're taking somebody's weight and um using their height to like figure out whether or not we need to be concerned about them like we're gonna miscategorize so many people Mm -hmm. um and I think that it also has turned into this huge sort of thing that distracts people from, like, looking at other indicators of health. Mm. And so it's, like, you can have a person who is in a normal BMI who, like, a lot of my clients have a normal BMI and are engaging in these incredibly harmful mm-hmm. behaviors to their bodies, but their doctors might not notice it because their yeah. BMI is, like, right. quote, unquote, normal. Um, whereas like doctors might be like grilling my clients with like larger BMIs, mm-hmm. like, what are you eating? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like it's just none of it's real. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. Yeah. Whew, that is the BMI thing is deep, but shout out to the BMI because that's how I got my COVID vaccine early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, 30 is the BMI? Bet. Sounds good. It would <laughs> take me. Is it? You gotta use it when you, you got. Can. You have to. You yeah. that'll probably be the only time that it works for my benefits. <laughs> oh my god! So how? And you just actually just touched on this, but from a standpoint of somebody who's um, actually working in clinical research, how does fat phobia affect people who are living in a larger body? Um, get a diagnosis for an eating disorder. Get. Um, the help and treatment yeah yeah exactly exactly I think that um if you're in a larger body and you lose weight you're going to be congratulated yeah. like yeah. no matter yeah. what way you lost that weight like yeah. 
you will be congratulated by some people. That's so um, and so mm-hmm. I think that that also makes it really hard for people who are in larger bodies and are like really struggling to like seek out help because they're like, well, if this thing that was happening were harmful or if it were disordered or if I did have an eating disorder, like wouldn't people be worried about me Mm -hmm. and not congratulating me? Yeah. Um, And I think that like, yeah, I really, I think that like we have this image of eating disorders as only impacting thin white Mm -hmm. people. And so it like really limits practitioners who like aren't trained in eating disorders from even like asking questions to all of their clients, right? Mm -hmm. Like they will look at somebody and be like, that person is not an eating disorder and then like skip over those questions for that person. Mm -hmm. Um, And it makes, again, treatment really hard because it's like if somebody is in the overweight, like BMI category, um, even after engaging in all of these disordered eating behaviors, um, and their biggest fear is like gaining weight, like telling them to stop engaging those behaviors and knowing that like their weight is only going to go up. Mm -hmm. Like that is so scary. That is so scary when you're a person who like, especially when you're not even just like having to imagine what it would be like to be in a larger body, but like if you've been there and you've experienced the way that like society does treat you, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like not this like amorphous right. fear. It's like a right. It's real. Fear. Yeah. 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 And so it can create like a lot of hesitancy to get better because yeah. ultimately some people will decide that like living in whatever sort of distress their eating disorder is causing them is preferable to living in, mm-hmm. with the distress that being in a larger body in a society that like hates fat yeah. people. Yeah. You know? And then it feels safer. That's the yeah. sad yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Woo. Yeah. Ro, if I did that virtual reality shit, you would you would take me away in a straight jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I could know. Oh my so, God. <laughs> it's so hard. It Woo. is like so hard. And it's wild that it's so hard and um, like you're told that you're supposed to hate your body. Like I think right. that's the other yes. thing is that it's like it's not only hard, but society functions off of making sure that that's the reaction that you have to the mm. idea, of eating, right? Because mm-hmm. so many failing, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then where's the money? Where is the money in people who love themselves? Right? That's like. <laughs> You know what I mean? I feel like that's the existential question of a lot of how we grew up. I don't know when you were born, but (laughs) I was born in 89. And growing up, there was just there's just so much money in Mm self-hatred, so much more. Um, Now, I think we're coming around to in modern day coming around to like a self-care kind of. But that's also commodified. Let's be clear. definitely for <laughs> yeah. sure. Self care in the form of a bath bomb, yeah. right? But like at least, uh-huh. Uh-huh. It, it, and it's a bath bomb is a lot less revenue than Weight Watchers as a company. Um, but yeah, I think that is interesting that you say that you're like all of that societal stuff compounded with how doctors are trained to look at a body mm-hmm. and analyze a body mm-hmm. that are outside of your field of eating disorder therapy 
um, has put people in danger. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, I feel and like I, we need to take a hard look at ourselves when doctors are telling seven-year-olds that they need to go on a diet. Ooh, you know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That I was can't one think of those of... seven-year-olds. <laughs> Awful. That was one of those. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing better to, like, sell to people than something that, like, you're telling them they need but also will never work. Never like, work, yes. Never, ever work. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. what a great business model to yeah. get people constantly buying your stuff yeah. and, like, it'll never work for them. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you're telling them that their key to a happy life is yes. to keep buying. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, hope is a hell of a drug. It you is. Know? It the is. hope that maybe this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right maybe away. this one will work. <laughs> this yeah. is the diet that I haven't tried, and you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, why is there such a high failure rate for treatments um, for EDs? Is it because of media? Is it because of society? Or is it because um, it's the hardest because you have to eat every day? Yeah, I mean, it's probably all of those. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's that, like, especially if we're thinking of, like, higher levels of care where people are, like, going into these facilities and getting this really intensive treatment and then being pushed back out into this world that we're all living in. Talk about whiplash. Like, there's no chance of, like, continuing to get better, right? All of the stuff that you were engaging in before you went into treatment is now being, like, pushed back on you. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if we look at, like, the outpatient level of weekly therapy, um, our best treatments were designed, again, on, like, a very specific Uh subset of people. Um, And even, like, within that subset of people, it was designed on, like, what worked for them on average, right? So Mm -hmm. there are going to be so many people left out of the equation of what does treatment look like. Right. And so, like, one of our best treatments for eating disorders um, currently are, like, the, by best I mean, like, has the most empirical or, like, research support um, is something called cognitive behavior therapy um, Mm -hmm. or, like, CBTE. Um, And a big part of it is we do a lot of work with, like, um, working with a therapist to engage in regular eating, those, like, three meals, two snacks per day that Mm -hmm. I was talking about and, like, um, addressing things like fear of weight gain and like um, what we call like overvaluation of weight and shape, which is just like the idea that who you are, you judge yourself as who you are as a person off of what your body looks like or what the number on the scale is mm-hmm. and working to address that. But we leave out media, social media mm-hmm. and yeah. what do you do about like your loved ones who yeah. are on all these diets and like really hoping that yeah. you'll join in with them yeah giving you that unsolicited advice lonely. uh-huh because misery yeah. loves company too they hungry yeah, too exactly. uh-huh. yep. um, yeah and like what do you do when like your recovered body doesn't fit the image of what society thinks a person's yes. body look like or your role um, right like whatever your yeah. role is yeah yeah exactly um yeah, there are just, like, as many forces as there are pushing people to get better. There are so many forces pushing people to stay sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and those forces, like, diet industry has so much money and yeah. Yeah. such a happy hand that it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we get into trouble when we think there's this, like, one-size-fits-all approach. Mm-hmm. Like, you mentioned, like, some of the work that you do and the research that you do is, like, 
managing your emotions and sort of being aware and mindful of like how mm. those emotions come into play mm-hmm. and, and trying to push through that discomfort. Right. Or right. just being more aware of like how you cope with those feelings. Right. 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 Um, so like everyone's going to be different. So like mm-hmm. what might work for one person might not work for someone else. Right. Yeah. Cause they're, cause those emotions also might come in different packages because fear, disappointment, mm-hmm. embarrassment mm-hmm. is not going away when you're recovered from your ED. You know what I mean? Like you might still feel fear after you leave eat lab, you know? And like, how do you deal with it? Yeah. And it's like, if you add on other things that a subset of our population experience, like discrimination right. and right. stigma yeah. and like coping with all of those things on top of all those other like emotional states that we were talking about, mm-hmm. like it gets even more complicated because mm-hmm. even if you can like learn to manage your feelings around sadness Mm -hmm. or anger or shame like discrimination like how 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 do we address that in the therapy room and how it relates to eating disorder behaviors when like all of our treatments are based on people who don't experience discrimination yeah Mm. man for um, those people who do not have direct access to um, maybe a healthcare professional who is attempting to help them, what are some of the resources that they can go to when they're trying to find a diagnosis if they just suffer from disordered eating or an eating disorder to find kind of like a name for it um, and just look for those. They know that what they're doing is not serving them and not a healthy way to live that they want to do. Where can they go to find help? Yeah, um, NIDA, which is like the National Eating Disorder Association, Association. they have a website, I think it's just like Mm nationaleatingdisorders.org, and they have a screener tool that's right on their front page that's like essentially framed that way, like, do you wonder if your relationship with food or your body isn't working for you? Take this little screener quiz, and it's like Mm -hmm. really short, but it can help um even like help you help give you language to describe what you're experiencing to a like practitioner because I think that that's another piece is that like when you if you are a person who doesn't fit the image of what an eating disorder looks like like Mm -hmm. coming in with the armor and the words to be like this is what I'm experiencing I know Mm -hmm. that this is like Mm -hmm. this meets these criteria and this isn't good and you need to help me for these reasons Mm -hmm. can be really empowering um project heal is another really cool um organization that's doing a lot of work um to um bridge the gap between all of the people who need treatment Mm -hmm. and like the lack of treatment that is out there Mm -hmm. um so they do um treatment like grants where like they help people they give people money to help meet their co-pays so that they can afford things like therapy they help connect them with low cost care um they have a ton of resources on their website of support groups and things that like cost no money that Mm -hmm. can still um give you a space of community and like people to connect with um yeah those are like the two that I like really push people towards because they do good work Yeah. yeah Awesome. That is awesome. And Project Heal is national, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I did have a question, though, um, just because we're here in the tri-state area and I know of them. Um, and I'm sure they're out in California as well. But what about people who live in a food desert? 
I'm yeah. always curious as to what advice anyone who is any in any practitioner of any sort of eating, so nutritionist, a dietitian, um, a health coach, an eating disorder um, therapist, therapist, professional. What do you say to somebody who does not have access to food that is nutritious to them? Like, what should they kind of do? Yeah, I mean, that's such a huge issue that, again, like, research is, like, not at all catching up on addressing. But I do think that, like, we've been talking a lot about shame and also, like, societal expectations for, like, how you look or how, like, what you consume. And Mm -hmm. I think that um, reducing or, like, divorcing, like, the moral aspects of living from, like, food, Mm -hmm. I think especially when you're somewhere where, like, you might not have access to, like, fresh fruits and vegetables and, like, shaming yourself about that. Mm. Um, We know that, like, that sort of shame will only, like, increase things like binge eating Mm -hmm. and body dissatisfaction um, and leave people in a worse place. Um, Wow. Yes. And the the food that people who are in food deserts are binge eating is meant to be addictive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's meant to be, like, highly palatable and easily accessible. Right. Um, Right. So it's like, yeah, you shouldn't, again, you shouldn't beat yourself up if you're having a hard time in the system because, like, the system wants you to have a hard time. Like, the system Mm -hmm. makes money off of you having this hard time. And so, yeah, don't feed fat, like, don't add... What is it? Flames of fire? I don't know. Yeah, fuel to um, fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't don't pile more shit on because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. society like wants that to happen. Like they yeah. want you to feel bad about yourself and think that you're the problem. And like wow. we should just take the morality away from food, right? Like, this right, is good food yeah. and this is bad food. Food, yeah. food isn't good or bad. Yeah. I mean, like food can be good or bad in mm-hmm. that like somebody added too much of a seasoning they shouldn't have or like something went off and mm-hmm. is like expired but food isn't good or bad in these like moral ways that mm-hmm. we like to think of it as food is food and it is that doesn't have to mean anything about like who you are as a person yeah right? wow what a perfect ending <laughs> <laughs> thank you so so much ro for thank you being on the pod oh my god i learned so much yeah i learned so so much if you guys learned anything, or if you have any questions for Ro, because I feel like we're going to have to have her back, yeah. <laughs> please email uh, zenwhat, the number one, at gmail.com. Bye, Ro. Thank you. Bye. Okay, so that was very heavy. So let's have some fun and dig into some trash TV that we've been watching. Daniela, I'm so excited to talk about this week. Bravo-ish. bravo <laughs> Um, okay, so this week we'll start with Potomac. Potomac, yeah, yeah let's, let's go with second. Yeah, days of the week. Yeah, Potomac, <laughs> one of the best. Not my favorite episode, but still great. Mm-hmm. A lot happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got Raven as an alleged executive, corporate executive, corporate. Exactly. I mean, she looked fabulous. Her coat. I know. She beautiful. looked really good. She looked good. She looked good. But also, I'm sure she's not paying her rent. Um. Oh, my God. I'm trying to think. Okay. So, Candace's party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I never thought I would say this, but Candace actually de-escalated a situation. I can't believe it. <laughs> Candace. 
Candace must be seeing not uh, pregnant Ashley. Yeah. The therapist yeah, Ashley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She must be doing the work. Yeah, definitely. That's mm-hmm. growth, my friends. It sure is. Moved out of her mom's house. That's and- the thing. I think <laughs> yeah. that too. I yeah. think her moving out of her mom's house is a big part of yeah, it. Yeah, totally. Whew. Even though she's still wretched. Yeah. <laughs> That was great, you know, and, like, that's why we love these ladies, is mm-hmm. that their mm-hmm. recovery time is impeccable. Yes. Right? Like, they were at each other's throats, and then they're doing the conga line. Yeah. Playing Prosecco Palm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And I think uh, Giselle's robe was fake. I think it was Ersachi. I mean, Karen called her out. You know, she was like the her nerve. psychedelic robe, which just the killed nerve me. of you, Andy. Yeah, <laughs> true, 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 true. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I thought it was a, just like a fun kind of light episode. Mm-hmm. Robin and uh, Giselle, they have their podcast. Oh yeah, I looked that all the way up during <laughs> that clip because yeah. I was like, "What the fuck?" Reasonably shady. Yeah, I was like, "Who's asking for this?" Right. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Like what? So do they have? Are they? They do, and they, they seem to have five stars. I'm okay. sure it's the whole state of Maryland. I mean, it's Carter and Corey. Them too. <laughs> Rating, subscribing. Yes. <laughs> Pack of hats. Yes. Pack of hats. <laughs> Not going to school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, the best. I love. That's the other thing too. I love about Potomac is the kids. Oh, they're great. They're great. All of them. Oh Every my one of them. god. All of them mm-hmm. are just so great, especially Giselle's. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. god. I love Giselle's yeah, kids. Yeah, I know. Oh, and Robin, actually. I like I like Robin's kids a lot, too. And actually, shout out to Giselle because she mm-hmm. said in her confessional that she was trying to be emotionally available to her kids, and uh-huh. she knows she's not the best at that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really astute and big yeah. of her. Um, it was. I'm not sure about the execution. No, but she's trying. She's trying. And, yeah, we're not there the whole time, and, so maybe she was. And, you know, we're not moms. I mean, that shit sounds, sure <laughs> sounds really hard. Sounds really hard. And awkward. I have definitely... Failed the test and gotten into the car wailing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As if, at 16, yeah. that is your whole life. It is. So it is. I can understand why it feels like the end of the world. Yeah, and then you have to be like in your 50s, like mm-hmm. acting like this is a real issue. When you've like lived your life. When you lived a you life. Know, like this is nothing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a speck. Yes. <laughs> like nothing. Oh my God, so that does take a lot. Yeah. That does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, shall we move on to Roni? Roni, mm-hmm. which I was very disappointed this week. I thought yeah. we were going to Shabbat dinner. I know, I cannot wait for the Shabbat dinner. And we went to DeFilm Luann's music video, <laughs> which I'm never interested in anything Luann does. I know, I know. Anything, a party, an outfit, yeah. nevertheless no damn music video, but here we it are. It was as awkward as I had expected. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> it's just in that middle ground of like, there is some budget. Mm-hmm. But not so enough. <laughs> yeah, not enough. You know, not enough, like yeah. there's some random woman telling you to come in so that you could lip sync mm-hmm. from the iPhone in the mug I know. with a camera. But there's a full camera there. Yeah. But also there's cameras filming you. I know. It's it, a lot. Oh, man. Just, just half-ass all the way around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me the highlight was definitely my girl Sonia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's been on our screens for at least 10 years. At least. And... It's like we're still learning more about her. Yep. You know, she, for as light as, and funny as she can be, mm-hmm. she is a multi-layered person. Mm-hmm. She's very deep. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think people realize that about her. 
I was telling you earlier, she's like a blooming onion. Like, yeah. So many layers to mm-hmm. her. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought it was really great to get a little bit more background as to who Sonia is mm-hmm. and why she is the way she is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And she's actively trying to heal from that, which is so admirable. Yes. Thank you, Martin. <laughs> you know, is on staff therapist. Yeah. Wax on, wax off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and her healer too. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. lady touching her big toe. Oh my god! Talking about I see your father's wounds. Yeah. Oh my god, that was a lie. Yeah, that was a lie. Oh, but then nothing. Also, but then nothing. Also. <laughs> yeah, I love that show. Yeah, that's rich lady wellness. You know, it, totally. That's what we're busting through, guys. Yeah, this is what we're working with. Yeah. Somebody grabbing, tugging on your middle finger, yeah. and being like, "Oh my god, your trauma." Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my. God, oh we! And then tonight mm-hmm. together we yeah. watched Beverly Hills, the standout of the week. Wow! I never thought I would say that either. I know. I can't believe we are at a time and a place <laughs> where Beverly Hills is bringing it again. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Me either. I never thought we'd be here. Yeah. After that last season with that dog, mm-hmm. I never thought. I don't even think that was last season, or was it? I can't. Don't, it, don't, I don't care. Know. <laughs> don't yeah. Have it. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Erica Jane is out here trying to be with Eileen Davidson or whatever her name was <laughs> on Days of Our Lives. Yeah, or all my hell. children. All my children. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, I just think this is all, it, now it's all crumbling in front of us on yeah. TV. Yeah. And now this is getting weird. It's like two truths and a lie, but it's like two lies and a truth. <laughs> so true it's like the calculus that i'm doing in my head trying yeah to keep up with yes these lies. yeah or these truths I, I yeah don't know. i don't know which I don't one know. yeah and then you can see garcelle also is going through she, it live yeah. in real time she was the mvp of this episode by far absolutely absolutely yeah and i think sutton is gonna be for next week mm-hmm. because my girl already done the math yeah she yeah. already been She's here like, i'm rich she, i know yep, i know she where's knows. your forensic team like <laughs> yes Asking all the questions that to be asked. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And Erica's sitting there with her. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, she's back in the South. Mm Mm-hmm. She she was a California accent girl for a while. Now she's back in the South. (laughs) And this is... Clutching uh, her pearls. (laughs) Yeah, she's clutching her pearls. And now she's so emotional. Mm -hmm. She's zero to 100. Yeah. She has no family. Right. Like, but she has a kid. Yeah. I don't know where the sun is. I know. That makes me really sad. It's just, it's crazy. It's like, we don't know who Erica is. Yeah. After years of being on television, it's like the opposite of Sonia. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Wasn't her tagline at one point? She was like a riddle wrapped in a, an enigma wrapped in a riddle. Dollar bill. (laughs) Wrapped in a dollar bill. Like, I don't know. Ugh. And you guys, this is painful for me. Erica's my favorite. I know. This is very painful. Now, how are you gonna? How are you gonna go? I don't know. I don't know how to who to choose next, what mm-hmm. to do. I am very lost yeah. at this point. Yeah, but it is what it is. But that was a great episode tonight. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And Kathy Hilton also second MVP. Oh my god, always that always. pink windbreaker <laughs> from American Eagle. Yeah, she's like I don't need to impress anyone. No, I'm Kathy Hilton. <laughs> it's like either. Target or Versace? Yeah. There is no in-between. None. But you look like you were still in the house. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're at the boutique. Yeah, It's like, oh, my God. Dancing. Yep. Howling. Yeah. 
I love, chia seeds. I love too that she's like, oh, I'm getting tacos for everyone, and then it's like her driver got the yeah. tacos, is carrying the tacos yep. from the Jack in the Box or wherever mm-hmm. the fuck. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh man, what yeah. a great week! I know. I'm on pins and needles every week waiting for for Beverly Hills. The same. Me you too. Know? Me too. Like I- last week, I felt a real avoid. Oh, avoid. Yeah. <sighs> That was terrible. There was no warning. No warning. How can you do that to us? Bravo question mark. (laughs) Oh my god. Um, And then um, the love is blind. Oh yeah. Thing came out. Thing. What is that? Extension? Miniseries? Yeah. After the current or whatever. Whatever. I don't even know what they were calling it. I don't know either. It was very fancy. Um, Three episodes. Three episodes. Mm -hmm. Natasha and I will be recapping that. On our pod. You finished it, though, right? I, I sure did. You didn't finish it? I did. Okay. I did. I think I have to rewatch it, though, because I, I I missed a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I did not miss was Francesca's outfit. Oh, my God. She annoys me. She's another one. She's in, like, everything that I can point at you is expensive. Mm-hmm. Why did you wear all of this to this party, though? Yeah. Why are you looking like you at the mall? I know. She was very... Under, or, like, not even underdressed. I don't even know how to no, describe it. No, she gave me Short Hills Mall. Uh, <laughs> she gave me, like, I'm yeah. trying to look wealthy. Yeah. But everybody else is in a full gown. It full like a black tie. Yeah. yeah. And she's wearing leggings. Yeah. Expensive leggings. Expensive. Sure. Yeah. And a very expensive purse. Uh-huh. Whack. Yeah. And also, why are you friends with Damien? In what world? How and why? Is he giving free Botox? Maybe he has a deal. Maybe he has a sponsorship. Maybe. Maybe that's how he started his, you know, cosmetic surgery journey. I was going to say addiction. Yeah. Addiction. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Ooh-wee. It starts with a little under-eye treatment and then... That's what it's... Oh, it starts with walking into Mm -hmm. the office. Yeah. It starts with going to the dermatologist. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, you look nice with a little bit of this under here. Oh, poor Janina. I know. She does not deserve that. Yeah, no, nobody does, but she is especially fabulous Mm -hmm. and really doesn't. I know. Baby girl, leave him. I hope you've left him. I'm very, I tried to figure out if they're still together. I I don't know. I heard that one of the uh, young men from The Bachelor was in her DMs. Oh. Or comments or something Mm -hmm. of that nature. She's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It won't be hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Well, I can't wait for uh, Two Black Girls, One Rose to I do know, their recap. To do the recap. Yeah. It'll be fun. Um, and I don't think anything else was happening. And I didn't watch anything else on reality TV this week. Yeah, neither did I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe we'll extend this to, like, other stuff. Because I want to watch, did you hear about Prayed Up? No. It's a documentary on Netflix mm-hmm. about um, conversion therapy. Oh, God. And the biggest one in, like, Iowa or Ohio or wherever the fuck where it's legal. Sure. (laughs) um, They quit. Like, the leaders of the main uh, conversion therapy camp, Mm -hmm. I guess they would call it, Mm -hmm. quit all out. Gay as day. Yeah. All of them. That doesn't surprise me. Yep. And it's a Ryan Murphy production, so you know it's going to be juicy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't wait to watch that one. Maybe we'll just stuff like that. I'm going to dabble. I want you to watch White Lotus. Oh, yeah. I got to watch that. Yeah. With Natasha Rothko, the oh genius. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one. Uh, Jennifer Connelly? Yep. 
Or no, is that? No, Coolidge. Coolidge. What am I saying? Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> Jennifer Coolidge, the other goat. Yeah, she's so good in this. Yeah. Oh my god. Such a great comedian. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah she's yeah. amazing in this. She's yeah. everything. Ooh. She's okay. giving rich lady wellness. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta watch. I gotta watch her next week. Yeah. That was this week's episode. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Please rate, review, and subscribe. If you want to share your healing journey with us, you can always DM us on Instagram at zenwhat, or you can email us at zenwhat1 at gmail.com. Also, if you're listening to um, or uh, watching something fabulous that you want us to watch or want us to be in on, send us that too. Send over your recommendations. If you're listening right now, please share us on your Instagram story. Share us with the world. It would really help us to grow our community. Um, And we'll see you next week. See ya. Bye. Bye.